Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, the generation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the Week 11 college football betting preview. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. It's done with Maction, and we're on to the weekend. What's going on? Oh, Albert Emanuel Jr. How is this guy not this first string quarterback over Daniel Richardson for Central Michigan? Absolutely owned. Maction last night was the highlight. That second half from Central Michigan, I hope at four and six they make it to a bowl. That kid is electric. I can't figure out how he wasn't first string quarterback stuck. You got wow. to be kidding me. Now, this is peak Maction. It is. Peak Maction. True freshman, uh, right for 293. They did, they just wanted to save him. Didn't want to burn his red shirt. So, yeah, they wanted to keep him for five or fewer games. He was He's a kid out of Texas. He was electric, yeah. Just came up shy of the record which was set the quarterback rushing record, which was set by Jordan Lynch about 10 years ago for NIU, who ran for 312 and then a couple weeks later, 316 against Western Michigan. And by the way, his little brother ran in the winning touchdown against Western Michigan for Northern Illinois. <laughs> so everything comes full circle in Maction. That's Maction personified, right? Uh, but we're on to the weekend. We got a hell of a slate. We're getting down to crunch time. Let's get right into it. We're going to go Friday Night Lights. We will get into four marquee games. We'll do a rundown. I have plenty of trash. Colin will do a quick rapid fire for a couple of games he likes. Then, of course, we will go three and out, offer our favorite bets, favorite underdogs, favorite favorites. So let's get right into it. Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. ECU, who's on a roll, trying to just dispatch all of the future Big 12 members. They did it 
Uh, they're going to try to do it again in the Queen City against Cincinnati. They're five, five and a half point underdogs. You also have USC laying 34 against Colorado. And then Fresno State, UNLV, both quarterbacks back. You have Jay Kaner back for Fresno State, Doug Brumfield back for UNLV. Fresno's laying nine and a half there. See anything here? Which game do you want to attack first or? Well, the, the, the game I'm a little bit, in, you know, a little bit, I, I'm hesitant to lay a bet is the USC game. I mean, Colorado's given up at least 42 points in four of their last five games, and USC has scored 40 in four of their last five games. So you would think that 50 burger that's USC's team total would be good here because Colorado has, has after that little Mike Sanford boom that they got after he took over his interim, it's been back to trash. So USC should be the side, but there's overlooked to UCLA. So that one's got me off. the The Fresno State UNLV under is very uh, that that you know that's something I'm going to play. Doug Brumfield returned. He was horrible. Fumbled two ints. UNLV is outside the top 100 and havoc allowed, and that's just the big deal with the running rebels. Like they can't sustain drives because they're always turning the ball over. And Fresno's a top 25 team in defensive havoc. Jake Hayner's full speed again, seven TDs, two ints. So I think Fresno's going to do all the scoring. UNLV just has no route to get points on the board. But is this a good time to buy Cincy? I mean, there's a lot of ECU love out there. They've won five straight. You know, since he's going home, they haven't covered. I don't think since he hasn't covered a game since September. It's been a long time. They had a push in there in October, but they haven't really covered anything. But they're really good in Nippert. They've won 31 straight. Uh, and there's some big advantages here. ECU has no pass rush. Their coverage rank is 95th. Ben Bryant hasn't thrown an interception since week six against South Florida. And I know what Holt Naylor's is doing, and we don't like to fade Holt Naylor's, but this number to me is depressed because on a neutral field, what, what should this be? Two and a half? That I, I don't think these teams are that close. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the Cincy team, but from a market perspective, if you're buying ECU now, you're buying them at the top of their market value. And there's probably value on Cincy here. Similarly, it's like this is a classic buy low, sell high. I mean, Cincy hasn't covered him forever. They've looked bad. ECU is on a roll. They did get a much needed buy, but yeah, I do think that there's a bit of value on Cincinnati. Not a team I'm rushing to bet as a favor, but I do think that they're the side. I want to back USC. I'm, but I'm just I'm fearful of well, can Colorado like run it a little bit? And is that they're going to be their game plan? Because they're okay at running it every once in a while. Anyone can run it on USC. So does Colorado just try to run it? and make this as respectful as possible, or are they going to try to win? So, like, if they're down 21, are they going to try to throw? If they do, they're done. They're done. They're going to get blown out. And then what I can't figure out is I'm going to go back and actually look at this. I'll talk about it on Green Dot Daily tomorrow morning, our daily live show at noon Eastern. I'm going to look to see what Lincoln Riley has historically done in this spot because USC does have an outside shot at the college football playoff. Does – number one does this even matter this game but because style points do matter we've talked about this with Brad McMurphy this game no one no one watches USC when they play these bad games but this is on Friday night at 9 30 on FS1 so does USC want to come out and make a statement and then just because if you win a game like this like 68 nothing then you know people in the community go whoa right or does USC say let's stay healthy let's not show as much and right. let's get ready for UCLA. I don't know the answer to that. So I'm going to look Addison. into Yeah, because Jordan Addison and Mario Williams are still like game time decisions. They're still working. They're close to returning was the term that was used. So you're right. Do you save the health or do you go for the primetime 
spotlight out there against a team that is dead last in offensive finishing drives in Colorado, they might not get a point up. It's interesting. I mean, USC's defense is so bad that it's hard to lay a big number like this. They haven't covered any of these big numbers all year because they just can't get enough stops. But Colorado's offense is oof, bottom of the barrel. Fresno, UNLV, I actually might disagree with you, but I, I have to – just because my thinking on the surface is Fresno's defense hasn't been great this year. UNLV's defense is really, really bad. And are both offenses underrated because they now got their quarterback back? We saw Hayner, you know, that crazy comeback against San Diego State. He looks like he's back to full strike. I think it does come down to Brunfield. Was that like Russ last game? Will he be better this game? I don't know. That was my initial thinking on the surface, but not the sexiest Friday night slate. Here it comes. The Rebel Roller, a giant slot machine used in the wake of any UNLV score or turnover forced. Let's move on to Saturday, where we do have plenty of marquee games. We're going to go through four. So let's get to the marquee games of the day. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 11. Yeah, let's kick things off with a 3.30 CBS game. Really intriguing game. Alabama at Ole Miss. Ole Miss, an 11 and a half point home underdog, coming off of a much needed bye. We talked about their stretch of games and how they needed some rest. Over under 65, this is a 3.30 CBS game. When I look into this game, look, I mean, Alabama, you have a couple trends that are interesting. They're now two and six against the spread over the past two seasons in true road games. All as double-digit favorites, all six losses were decided by three points or fewer. So they either lost outright or barely won. And Saban, I went back and looked, after a straight-up loss in the regular season at Alabama, four and ten against the spread the next game. If you remove Mississippi State, who he always beats by 50, he's 0-8 against the spread after a straight-up loss, which I did not expect. I expected to see like 12-2. and Uh, The three previous meetings between Saban and Kiffin, Saban won last year 42-21 as a 15-point favorite. Same exact scenario as this year. Ole Miss was coming off a bye. Alabama was not. Alabama was up 28-0 at the half. In 2020, Alabama won 63-48 to but didn't cover. And then back in 2009, when Kiffin was head coach of Tennessee, that battle won 12-10 at home. Uh, What an ugly game. Kiffin is also only 6-10 and against the spread with nine or more days of preparation, which surprised me. I thought he would be better in that aspect. And it is worth noting that Kiffin is the most profitable first-half coach over the past 25 years and the least profitable second-half coach. So when I look at this game, Bama definitely has issues at receiver, corner. Their run defense hasn't been as great. Their offensive line has been a little eh. And I don't know if... Bryce Young is fully healthy, right? He hasn't been practicing he until recently, and he's been on a pitch count. And last week, the, his balls just didn't look clean. Like, he wasn't throwing tight spirals. He threw a couple ducks. And, you know, Saban has mentioned it. He never mentions injury. So I just don't know if he's fully healthy. And <laughs> But I'm, I'm also just not sure that Bama can't just line up here and run it right down Ole Miss's throat. This <laughs> seems like a... Bama spot, but I don't. I just don't know if I can trust them. What do you see here? 
Well, now you're talking me into the under because I've got, you know, problems on the other side of the ball because this number is outrageous. It should be seven. Like I've checked all the other power ratings up against ours. This number should not be in the double digits, but are we going to back Bama on the road again? <laughs> I mean, it's just not been a good wager. Uh, I don't think it's ever cashed. Uh, you think of Arkansas, you think of Tennessee, you think of, uh, you, you think of Texas, right? And then you go to Ole Miss's strength of schedule, and you know they're they're outside the top forty. Uh, it has not been tough for them at all. And Ole Miss is a, and this is I said when I, when we started the season, I said this is not the team that Lane Kiffin wants. It's not the makeup of what he wants to run. Ole Miss is a run first team, a run second team, a th- run third team. They have a sixty four percent rushing rate, uh, and they're very successful with it. But that makes them one dimensional, which means Alabama can load the box and they shut down rushing attacks and. And when I say that, I mean true rushing attacks, right? You're going to turn around and hand the ball off. That's what they shut down. Now, the teams that have torn Alabama up on the ground had dual threat quarterbacks. That was Jaden Daniels, Hendon Hooker, and K.J. Jefferson. They all made the Bama defense pay on the ground. So you have to ask yourself, is Jackson Dart going to be able to do the same thing? He was shut down against LSU, Vandy, and Kentucky. Other games, he had over 100 yards on scrambles and designed runs. So, you know, the question is, I think the critical point is this, is Bama's defense going to be able to start Jackson, stop Jackson Dart and his inside zone read, outside zone read, whatever he decides to play keeper? Um, you know, I mean, the Bama defensive line is stopping the rush at the point of attack and behind the line of scrimmage. They have a great uh, stuff rate. So I think, you know, with us having problems with the offenses, I'm now kind of turned on to the under in this game. Yeah, I, I actually was looking at the under 265 is – kind of key yeah. um so if you can get above that i, I think under is potential potentially the look like i don't want to lay 11 and a half with alabama even though it feels like an alabama spot and i don't think that old miss is capable of like they don't have a great downfield vertical passing attack they don't have a great defense that's going to generate a lot of pressure like they just i don't see Ole Miss pose and, and I'm just not a buyer of Ole Miss. I mean, have you seen what they did this year? They haven't had a great schedule. So I but I'm so I'm not rushing to bat, back Ole Miss here. Um so yeah, maybe under is the look. It is a a, a very odd game. Um, because I just can't get a handle of on this Alabama team. And I do think Ole Miss is kind of fraudulent. I think you're paying a premium here for Alabama off of a loss. And it looks like that's always been the case, which is why they're four and ten against the spread after a loss. All right, let's move on to a. And by the way, Alabama can still win the SEC West. LSU just needs to either beat Arkansas or Texas A and M, and have Ole Miss lose one game so far. Alabama beats Ole Miss, and LSU beats Arkansas, which we'll talk about coming up. LSU would clinch the division. If Ole Miss wins out and LSU loses both, then Ole Miss would win. If Alabama beats Ole Miss and LSU loses to Arkansas, Alabama would win the division if LSU loses to Texas A&M. So at the end of the season, Saban and Alabama will be rooting for Jimbo and Texas A&M, which is pretty funny. All right, let's, let's move on to a game with major college football playoff implications Maybe we'll we'll battle in this game. TCU at Texas. Texas seven point home favorite over under sixty five. This game's at seven thirty p.m. on ABC. TCU, as most of you, I'm assuming, know, is number four in the latest college football playoff ranking. 
I don't think that really matters. I think if they were going to win out, regardless if they were four or five or six, they were going to the college football playoff. But I think they go down here. We talk about injuries, fatigue. TCU has to fall into that kind of this is the eighth straight game they're playing. They played SMU, Oklahoma, Kansas, Oak State, Kansas State, West Virginia, Texas Tech. What are, and what do all those teams have in common? Number one, a lot of them have horrific defenses. Number two, most of them had hurt quarterbacks. You had Gabriel get hurt for Oklahoma. Then you play the backup most of the game. Daniels get hurt. Jason Bean comes in. Spencer Sanders clearly hurt in the second half. Two quarterbacks get hurt for Kansas State. And then Texas Tech, my guy Barron Morton gets hurt. And Tyler Shuck, who's still hurt and shaking off rust, and his co- he's just not right, comes in. He was horrendous. You also had a horrific face mask call on Texas Tech in that game that really swung a lot of the momentum. But that's five quarterbacks <clears throat> that they face that have been hurt. So, And if you look at their defensive numbers, they're not great. But I'm extrapolating out what their defensive numbers would look like if they did face healthy quarterbacks the entire season. And it's even worse. So where you and I might disagree is I have TCU down with like USC and Ole Miss. They are like around the, you know, 14 to 16 range, elite offenses, really good offenses, bad, bad defenses. So like below, right below national average, but horrific power five wise national average when you adjust for schedule. And like you're this, this game sets up for just, I I don't, I think Texas to go off. I don't see how TCU is going to get many stops. You could go Bijan, you could go explosive passes and on the other side of the ball, you have Texas's Rundy, which is elite, top five in the country. Now, the secondary has holes, but Quentin Johnston is banged up, maybe the best receiver in college football. And mm-hmm. Gary Patterson, assistant on Texas, knows Max Duggan probably about as well as anybody in the country. Texas actually, I think if you play out this season 100 times, I think Texas comes into this game undefeated more times than TCU. Uh, I I actually, you know, and I'm extremely high on Texas, probably lower than most on TCU. They beat me every week, but I grade it as a win. Not that that means anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I have Texas in this game as a double-digit favorite. I laid it. I think they roll. Um, are you going to disagree and tell me your, your TC boys are going to win again? Yeah, I mean, I thought you and I were in a battle on this one, but we're not. Uh, I, I make the raw number Texas minus five, so I thought this game is way too inflated. But when you look at certain things that are in the stats and outside of the stats, I can't make a case for TCU at all. Now, first off, talking about the luck factor going into these two teams, if you look at second-order win total right now just on these two teams and their seasons, TCU's win-loss record should be a, a game and a half less on the win side than it is now, and Texas should be a game and a half higher than what they are right now. So that shows you you know, exactly how the win-loss column doesn't mean anything in this, and Texas absolutely should be favored in this game. And that doesn't even account for it, for injuries to quarterbacks. I mean, Texas right. also like, had right. injuries against Alabama to both quarterbacks and lost by one. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason TCU's in the top four of the college football playoff and their futures numbers like 60 to 80 to one. I mean, it's just like, you know, we all know. But the injuries to Duggan and Quentin Johnson, they just take away the explosiveness. And that's what TCU just really runs on. Uh, I mean, they just have that for dinner every Saturday. They're 26 and expected points on the ground, fourth and through the air. Uh, and if you take away these two explosive components from this TCU team, what do they have left? Because it's not 
a sustained success rate drive that gets them into scoring position. It's not, there's never a 13 play drive that TC runs. Uh, it's always explosive plays. And then if you go to the other side of the ball, TCU does not produce pressure on quarterbacks. And where that's important is that Quinn Ewers struggles with pressure. He has a drop of 22% and his adjusted completion rate. He's only had one big time throw this season when he has pressure on him. And <laughs> only one player on TCU's defense has produced double digits in quarterback hurries. When you go to the Texas defense, they have six players that have produced double digits in quarterback hurry. So Ewers is not going to be pressured, which means he's going to have a great day. And I think something that you can't pull out of a stat sheet, something you can't really quantify, is that Texas has been more physical in the trench against every single team that they've played. And that kind of shows up pass rush of ninth. That's not good for a limited Max Duggan, you know, dealing with that calf injury. You think about it last week. The highest number of pressures Max Duggan has seen all year was last week against Texas Tech. He saw 17. Maybe that's a mobility issue. Maybe he can't get outside the tackles. Or maybe it's the fact that the offensive line just allows too many people to get through. So, you know, this is a setting up to be really bad day for Max Duggan and for Quentin Johnson. No explosiveness and a defense that just can't support you. They're bottom 10 in defensive finishing drives. So every Texas drive that gets past the four yard line is going to end up in a touchdown. So I think the proper plays in here, I'm not that comfortable with a seven and a half that I see on the board. I mean, if TCU is fully healthy and they're really going at it, the back door is always going to be there. The Texas Tech team total over is short. To me, this is a game where Texas could do almost all the scoring. If these injuries really play out and the way Texas is playing defense right now, TCU team total under has got some, it has, has some on it. But from a money line perspective, Stuck, and, and this is what I'm going to say, because I think I'm going to put this through on the app and I'm going to play it pretty hard. I can't see any scenario that Texas loses this game. Minus 250, it's worth it to just lay it, put it on there because everything inside and outside the the spreadsheet says that this is going to be a romp. I think that money line is super short and it's worth a play. I laid seven earlier this week. I think that you'll still, you know, maybe come come game time, I do think that there's going to be, as we get closer, bigger money that continues to come on Texas. You can still find sevens out there. As we're recording, um, and I would lay, lay lay seven here. I think this just sets up. This is like one of the luckiest Power 5 teams versus one of the unluckiest, and it just sets up with all the matchup advantages. It just feels like it's going to be a game where Texas finally gets every bounce and TCU doesn't. And by the way, if another quarterback gets hurt going up against TCU, Hudson Card's numbers are arguably better than Quinn Ewers this year. So Texas will be and He fine. won't be pressured either. He won't be pressured either. He'll yeah. be fine. That's when Hudson Card makes we'll mistakes. Be- yeah, we'll be fine on that front. So, yeah, I think this is hook them, hook them, hook them. And by the way, my if you followed me on my Texas Big 12 future, if they win out, they are going to the Big 12 championship. Because basically what will happen is they have the tiebreaker for Kansas State. If they win this game, and then they'll eventually play Baylor. And assume if Baylor wins this week and TCU, all TCU will have to do even if they lose to Baylor, all TCU has to do is beat Iowa State. TCU just has to win one game, and they're in the Big 12 championship. Most likely, the second spot, assuming no upsets. There are other scenarios with Kansas State. But assuming no upsets, it'll come down to TCU playing the winner of Texas-Baylor, if this plays out how I think it does, right? Yeah. All right, yeah, hook them. Let's move on to another game with – college football playoff implications let's go out west let's go to eugene washington at oregon 
Oregon is a 13 and a half point favorite over under 72 and a half. Whew. This uh, Oregon, I think if they went out and they win the Pac-12 championship, they're going to have a strong case to go to the college football playoff, especially if other teams fall. So Oregon is very motivated to keep winning. Naturally, you know, my instinct tells me that this is probably the peak of the Oregon market. I mean, they've covered like five or six in a row. Everyone is showing them so much love, saying they could win it all. But like, you know, you look in the month of October, they beat Cal, Arizona, Stanford. In a, and they, they beat UCLA. UCLA didn't punt and they won 45 to 30. So I do think that this is like their offense is performing at a peak, peak level, elite. Like, I don't think their offense can get any better. I think that this is the peak of the market. So when I look at this game, I don't see how Washington gets many stops, right? Like, there's just no – you can't break this game down and say, like, this is how they're going to get stops. Bo Nix could misread the defense once or twice. Bo Nix season in full effect. And throw a pick. There could be obviously, like, a, a big sack, negative play. But Washington's defense is terrible. If you look at adjusted EPA per play of power five defenses, Washington is bottom five. They don't really do anything well. And But on the other side of the ball, this is what people aren't talking about enough. Oregon's defense is almost as bad. Their bottom 10 power five adjusted EPA per play. And like all the teams that I mentioned that they played, like they just got done playing Colorado too. But like Stanford put up four touchdowns. Arizona put up 22. Like they played BYU without all their receivers. Washington State put up 40 plus. You know, UCLA didn't punt. Oregon's defense, and then if you if you break it down, like you look, okay, why did Stanford run the ball thirty four times? Why did why did BYU run it twenty five times? Well, all the receivers were out, but these teams are running it against them. Oregon's run defense is pretty good; they're fairly respectable, but their pass defense numbers are horrific. They can't force any incompletions, and they get no pressure on the quarterback. They're one hundred twenty eighth in passing down sack rate, so. You know, what does Washington do very well? They don't really run the ball. They don't play defense. They can pass the ball. One of the best passing offenses in the country, and they throw it a lot. Like, all they do is throw it. It's like an ab. They throw it like an air raid rate. That's great here. That's what you want to do. You want to throw it every down on Oregon. So, and Penix is not going to be under pressure. So this is, a to me, a, if it gets to 14, I'm waiting for the 14. Because even if Oregon is like blowing this open and gets a couple stop back door wide open in this game, and I just think that there's a chance that you know Washington maybe they get stopped once or twice, and this game just goes from seven to fourteen, seven. Like Washington's offense should have a ton of success here. For what it's worth, since two thousand four, Oregon has dominated the series fourteen and two straight up. Over that stretch, the Ducks have gone twelve zero and one against the spread as a favorite. Uh, which I thought was pretty wild. But, yeah, I think Washington's offense can keep up here just by throwing it, which is all they do. I'm waiting to get a 14, and I think I'll have to grab it. you agree or disagree? Well, first off, this game is an over game. And I, I'm saying that it's 72 and a half. You know, I'm saying that. I'm feeling pretty confident in it. It feels like UCLA-Oregan all over. It, yeah, and and I'm yeah, I, I'll get to that. But I project this game at 11 and a half. There's value on the Washington side. But, of course, you want that 14 to get that three-score backdoor cover thing in there so i I will happily wait for that or get it live because you know it <laughs> with the way that these teams are going to throw downfield you're going to get some crazy live number swings possibly so 
Listen, yeah, I also I also think before you go, I, I think that is more important in this game. It's also yeah, a great live trading game because yeah. I don't think Washington is going to settle for field goals. You no. can't really in this game. So like 14 is so key because like there's just going to be they have to score touchdowns and I DeBoer is a smart guy. I think he knows that. So like falling 13 is I think way Way less of a chance here, given how I think this plays out. So, yeah, the 14 is massive. It won't go there. I think it might. There's a ton of public support. There are There's some sharp support for Oregon, too. I think it'll get there. You got to be quick. Put the alerts on the action network app. Get that, because I think it'll get scooped up right away. Yeah, and, and though I'll pivot over to the over. There's a couple things that you don't go around saying, oh, I want over 72 and a half. But uh, there's a few things in here that people should know. Both of these offenses are top five in offensive finishing drives. That goes up against two defenses that are outside the top 100 in defensive finishing drives. So a lot of touchdowns, not field goals. And both offenses are top five in havoc allowed. What that means is, is that Penix and Bo Nix are not going to be kicking the ball around. There won't be interceptions. There won't be fumbles. And they won't allow teams to play in their backfield. And both offenses are national leaders in third down conversion percentage. And these defenses are 124th and 126th in third down defense. So there's not going to be... Who's getting a stop here? I mean, each team is going to have long drives that result in points. Oregon's number one in success rate in standard downs. Washington is number one in success rate in passing downs. So both these teams, top eight in red zone TD percentage. I mean, it goes on. And so you start to feel like this is UCLA-Oregon, which we took an over on, a little ballsy in the number in the 70s, taking over on. It landed 75, with cash for everybody. When you go and look at that, there was one punt, four field goals, and there were points just left on the table from those drives. Other than that, every single offensive drive was productive. And there aren't a lot of key numbers in the 70s, but 73 is one that hits 1.5% of college football games. It's the biggest number in the 70s range, although it doesn't happen that often. So there was buyback in this market on 73. So over 72 and a half is the borderline where I would stop hitting the over. But there's, I mean, who's getting a stop here? No one's getting a third down stop. And if there's a field goal in this game, it'd be like seeing Sasquatch. I mean, you're just not going to see a lot of field goals here. So that's how I'm going to play it accordingly. I don't see many teams getting the stop. Washington's offensive numbers are obviously a little depressed because of the weather last week. Oregon's defensive numbers even maybe should be a little worse if they played BYU with any of their receivers. But these teams that are trying to run it against Oregon are doing them so much favor because the run defense is decent. Washington won't do that, which is why I think that they'll have no problem moving the ball. They're just going to come out and throw it a million times. And that's okay. That's what you want to do against Oregon. You don't need to establish the run or do anything. Um, so, yeah, I I agree. It's over, and uh, it's Washington. I'm waiting on that 14. If I don't get it, you know, if it stays where it is now, I might buy it. I would never hardly ever buy it a 14. But in this game, I would. I would buy it up to, like, if I could get, like, a minus 118. I think because I think it's that, that important in this game where there should just be traded touchdowns. How one of these teams could get a stop, by the way, is fumbles. The Oregon has recovered every one of their fumbles this year. Washington, I think, has fumbled eight times. They've recovered seven of the eight. So whose fumble luck is going to run out? Because that literally could decide to cover. It's just you fumble it, the other team recovers, that's their stop, and then they score a touchdown. So keep an eye on the loose rock. All right, before we continue... As a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sportsbooks. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. 
Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager, 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, let's go to our final marquee game. We're going to go to the American for a ranked matchup between UCF and Tulane. The Green Wave are hosting UCF here. This game, let's see, UCF, Tulane's now one and a half point favorite over under 54. This game's at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN2. Just a, an enormous game for many reasons. Bowl, bowl implications, conference implications, um, just a, a massive game. I think what we agreed on Texas, Washington, Alabama, Ole Miss, we both were kind of mad leading the under. I know we're going to disagree on this game, so I'll let <laughs> you go first. Make your case. I think you have the total on the side here. I took Central Florida on the money line, so you know I'll talk about that. But both of these teams love to run the ball. Uh, I wrote this up on Action Network, so go check that out. You can see everything from the from the total and the side here. But uh, you know, one of these teams has been better offensively, and and let me restate that: both these teams are heavy in the rush. Both rush over fifty nine percent of the time, but one of these teams is better at it offensively and defending it defensively. And UCF is top defense in the nation when it comes to the red zone. They allow just 61% of their attempts to be a score. Only Georgia has forced a higher rate of field goals. I mean, Central Florida has been fantastic when opponents get into scoring position. And the Green Wave defense has been excellent at limiting explosive plays. Tulane has allowed just nine plays from scrimmage this year to exceed 30 yards. So Tulsa is set, uh, Tulane is seventh in coverage. But does that matter if John Reese Plumlee returns over Mikey Keene? Because that becomes even even more heavy rush offense, and they're not going to be a lot of throwing it around against a really good secondary from Tulane. Where you can beat them is on the ground. And, and, and Tulane's been locked down on defense on opponents that fall behind schedule. Uh, they're really good in passing downs on defense, but that's not really how UCF runs. They're 12th in success rate in standard downs thanks to the running game of R.J. Harvey and Isaiah Bowser. And those are the two names that I think are leading UCF to get the win here outright as an underdog, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where Central Florida is better in the trench on both sides of the ball. And Tulane has some defensive numbers that suggest that they can be, you know, they can get torn up on the ground. They'll be great in coverage, but I don't, if Mikey Keene is throwing, he was serviceable, uh, you know, didn't, I, I think he had what, three touchdowns, didn't have an interception. Uh, but I, that's not going to be what Central Florida wants to do. If Mikey Keene's in there, they're only going to throw on third down. So, uh, Central Florida is better in the trench on both sides of the ball. That's why I'm backing them on the money line. 
Yeah, I love Tulane here. I to, all they do is cover, and they don't get enough respect. I think they are the number one. Uh, I think they're the most profitable team to back this year against the spread. And for what it's worth, since Willie Fritz arrived at Tulane in 2016, Tulane is the most profitable team to back at home. They're 26 and 11 against the spread, over 70% in the friendly confines, covering by over five points per game. But when I look at this, I love, love. First of all, if you look at UCF, they had no business winning that game against Memphis last week. A couple special teams blunders. Ryan Silverfield going for it on fourth and 16 after a horseshit targeting call, by the way, which flipped that whole game on its head. Memphis also went 0 of 2 on fourth downs. They outgained UCF, but just every little break went UCF's way. And by the way, I like the opponents are 6 of 21 on fourth down against UCF this year. And, you know, they're holding opponents to 61% uh, of scores in the red zone, which you mentioned. You could look at it the other way is that there could be some regression there. But I, I love this. I just love this Tulane defense. Their uh, coordinator, Hampton, is in for a big-time promotion here shortly. But, yes, their trench isn't great. But they play this three-man tight front where they just kind of take up you know, their, their two ends, play inside of the tackles, and then their um, nose tackle plays on, on – top of the center and they kind of just take up space to uh, try to occupy blockers and they don't get a great push. That's why like their line yards are off, but their linebackers fill gaps unbelievably well. I mean, they're, they, they have the, I, I think the best linebacker group in all of group of five. So I do think UCF can have some success running, but Tulane is going to get enough stops with their linebackers and secondary. And the other side of the ball Tulane's biggest weakness on offense, you know, they have Tajay Spears, an excellent running back, Pratt, very experienced quarterback. He can run it himself a little bit. Their biggest problem is their offensive line can't pass block. That's not an issue here because UCF doesn't get any pressure. Tulane's offensive line, 100th in sack rate. UCF's defense, 95th in sack rate. Pratt also loves to throw over the middle of the field. Well, you have one of UCF's best defenders, Gene Baptiste, who might not play both of their – Two other safeties are also questionable. So I think they can attack there. But Pratt's going to have time. And when he has time with a clean pocket, he is significantly better uh, than when he's under pressure. So, yeah, I think this UCF defense is vulnerable in the secondary. That's where you attack them. That's where ECU attacked them. And I think that Tulane can attack them if they have time, which they should here. So, yeah, I think Tulane at home with this defense – is going to set the tone. I'm excited for everyone to watch them. I can see how you can make the case for UCF's rush offense, but I'm siding with the green wave. Let's go Tulane. I can't wait for this game. I'm actually really excited to watch it. All right, let's move on to the rundown. What do we got here? Five games. Go through them quickly. Louisville at Clemson. Clemson, seven-point favorite here. Is this a letdown for Clemson? Like, oh, man, we're done. Our season's over. Do they rally here? They've already clinched the Coastal for what it's worth. I'm just not a fan of Clemson. Anywhere I look, the receivers aren't good. They have one reliable offensive lineman at their left tackle in McFadden. Their defense is now 120th in opportunity rate, 64th in sack rate. They're not going to get pressure on Cunningham. Louisville has a chance to get a ton of pressure. That's what they're doing. So I don't know. I'm leaning Louisville here. They're playing. They're playing. These are two teams heading in different directions. What are your thoughts here? 
Yeah, I haven't made a bet on it, but I, I'm looking for a more depressed number on Clemson before I fire on the Tigers. Uh, there's just – I thought there would be huge – You're back event. on your DGU, DJU bullshit? Yeah, yeah, I'm back on my DJU bullshit. Uh, there's just not a lot of huge advantages here in the rushing metrics to say that Malik Cunningham, Jahar Jordan, and Tyon Evans are just going to run wild on this Clemson front seven, which is what you have to do to make Clemson look pedestrian, right? And the success rate from the rushing perspective doesn't say Louisville is going to be able to pull that off. And plus, Malik Cunningham has a dinged hand. We don't know what the status of that is, if he's going to lay off being a ball carrier here. Uh, But Louisville on the defensive side continues to be a very poor tackling team. They're outside the top 100 and limiting pass explosiveness also. So, you know, DJU and Will Shipley, they've created 59 missed tackles this season on the ground. That's going to be available here with this poor tackling from the Cardinals. And also the penalties. Gosh, Satterfield's team just can't get away from the flags. 121st in the nation at penalties. And, you know, Clemson is the side for me here. I think there's a lot of a lot of selling of Clemson stock in the market. Uh, may have gone a little bit too far, but I just don't see rushing advantages for Louisville in this game per their success rate. Yeah, I, don't, I can't buy this Clemson. I would not lay points to this Clemson team under any circumstance. I think that Louisville's going to be able to get a ton of pressure on DJU. He's been good against the blitz, but that's when the blitz doesn't get home. Under pressure, he's 96th in adjusted completion percentage. Louisville, top 10 across the board in sack rate. Montgomery, Sonogo, Abdullah, Diaby, all their depth guys, they get pressure every single time. I mean, they blew up Wake Forest's entire game plan by getting pressure. I, I don't know. I, I I think this is Louisville or nothing. But from a stock perspective, yeah, you're probably not – buying you're probably buying Clemson at the right time if you still believe in the Tigers I personally do not all right let's stay in the ACC UNC at Wake Wake is a three and a half point home favorite UNC just needs one more win to clinch the coastal which means we will get UNC versus Clemson in the ACC championship game UNC has Wake NC State and then they get Georgia Tech at home so you can pretty much pencil them in to the ACC championship uh Wake's you know, the thing I worry about here is I'm with, I want to sell UNC, but I do not want to, I'm like, I don't want to sell them as a dog with Drake may who I think will be, if he was going in the draft this year, I think he should be the number one pick. I think he's going to be the best pro of any quarterback in college football right now. You look at his pressure numbers. I, he is unbelievable. He doesn't have a great offensive line. UNC's defense stinks across the board. Horrendous. Awful. Uh, but Wake Forest defense, which has improved under Brad Lambert, is mainly improved against the run. It's still very vulnerable against the pass, which is what matters against UNC. By the way, UNC's awful defense also doesn't have Noah Taylor, one of their best edge rushers now. He's out for the year. UNC has won the past two games, 58-55 to 55 and 59-53 to 53, the past two seasons. The reason why this total is, I think, the highest of the season in college football. The problem if I lay it with three and a half with Wake is like, what if they could be up 10 late? Then UNC is going to just lose by – they're going to get in the back door. Um, so if you like Wake, that's what I would be petrified of. I'm, I don't want to fade Drake May here in what should be a complete shootout. Great live trading game. What do you see here? Yeah, I'm going to take Wake in this game, and I don't know if I'm going to fire if it gets down to three or if I'm going to play it live, but Wake is going to be the side here for me. The worst unit in this game is the UNC defense. They can't generate havoc. They're near dead last against the rush. They're bottom 15 in defensive finishing drives. Like Wake should have every advantage here with Sam Hartman uh, getting scores up. And, and they're 21st in offensive finishing drive. 
And that means there's going to be a lot of touchdowns here. They're not going to settle for field goals. And the Wake Forest defense is improved with Brad Lambert. You mentioned mostly against the rush, but especially from a Havoc perspective. And that's bad for North Carolina because they're outside the top 50 and taking care of the ball. It's kind of correlated to the offensive line, giving up 49 tackles for loss this season. So expect Wake Forest to be playing in the backfield a lot. And Wake's going to keep moving the chains. Uh, you know, North Carolina, their defense is 106th in third down defense. They can't stop anybody. And they're 128th in standard down success rate, which means Wake Forest is going to snap the ball in first down and get another first down. So I just don't see – I know UNC can go nuts on offense, but Wake's playing a, little, a lot better defense. Uh, and, I, and I know that their pass defense is not that great, but at the same time, there's going to be spots where UNC is going to have to run the ball or do something on the ground. And Wake's going to be able to get some havoc on Drake May. So, you know, Wake is the side for me. It's just a, you know, am I going to play live or am I going to buy the three and a half? But it's definitely Deacon Deacons here for me. I don't mind the Wake side, um, but I would my I just wouldn't lay three and a half. So, like, maybe if, if money line or three, because you're you're up 10 at any point in that game, you'll never feel comfortable. And right. how many times have we seen Wake in a shootout and that ends like 48-45, 51-48? So maybe it's a money line piece. Maybe it's a money line play. You know, round robin piece. Maybe wait for the three. I think there might be maybe some UNC money could potentially come in. But and I also don't. It's probably square as hell. I don't mind the over. Like I don't see UNC getting any stops. Wake Forest also has some turnover regression on offense coming. They've been unlocking that department the past few weeks. UNC. I mean, and Drake May's been great under pressure. UNC will keep Chuck until the end. They're going to put put up their points. I mean, it, both these games have combined for 112 and 113 the past two years. It's over or nothing. I would not play an under with anybody's money in this game. All right, let's move on to your hogs, LSU at Arkansas. LSU, like I said before, can clinch a division with a win and a Bama win. This is all hogs for me. All I wanted was three. This is spot of the year. Coming off the Liberty loss, they and LSU is coming off the emotional win over Alabama in overtime. Although I just don't think that Bryce Young was right for that game. Just a horrendous spot. Uh, you, you're into that stuff, and I do think it matters with college kids. I I think this is one of the best spots of the year. You're also selling high on LSU. I mean, I've been back in LSU of late. They've been cashing. This is the peak of the market for LSU. Remember, four weeks ago, this is a team that got dominated at Auburn. They pulled out the win, but they got statistically dominated. Now, they've improved over the course of the season, but... I, Look, for what it's worth, Sammy Covers is 12-6 and six against the spread as an underdog, including 8-3 and three against the spread against top 20 teams, including a perfect 6-0 and L if you exclude Alabama and Georgia. But the offensive line here for Arkansas, one of the best in the country, I think it control the line of scrimmage. I think Arkansas can run the ball. And LSU's defense has been vulnerable against the run. And I just – Jefferson's numbers under pressure – have been he's the number highest rated quarterback in the country under pressure. Um, this is just all spot for me, and I do think that there's some match advantage for Arkansas. Their defense is bad, but in a spot like this, that's where you see the biggest jump. Like you can't execute because you care, but your tackling, your energy, and look, Slusher's going to be out, but he hasn't been that great since he came back and moved this strong safety. This is this is Arkansas for me. I hope you agree. No. Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. 
Not even close. Wow. And, and you know, plot twist, uh, actually LSU's offensive line is playing way better than Arkansas's offensive line. I, I went and did some research on Bet Labs on Brian Kelly. Like when does when he wins games as an underdog, what, what does he do the following week? In his career, he's 18, 12, and one against the spread. And uh, you can shoot holes in those spots, but I mean he's already done it twice this season where he showed up off of an underdog victory and then covered the next week. That goes back to the type of coach that he is. Like, I mean, great coaches don't allow their teams to have hangovers or letdowns or overlooks or anything like that. And Brian Kelly should win coach of the year, considering this team had the highest number of snaps come in of any other college football team from the transfer portal. So it's really just been a masterful job trying to get this to work. You got to give some credit defensive coordinator, Matt House coming in. He was a linebacker coach for the Chiefs. They have a very complex multi-personnel scheme that's top 20 in passing success rate and finishing drives. And freshman linebacker Harold Perkins is like, he's must-see TV now. He is just going crazy on defensive plays. The Hogs were dreadful on offense against Liberty. K.J. Jefferson wasn't injured. He was called banged up, just really sore. Pippen says it's not going to be a factor this week, but I'm not sure what I believe anymore. And Raheem Sanders' yards is a, uh, running the ball is just diminishing week over week. There is nothing behind him. Dominic Johnson is out for the season. A.J. Green didn't pan out. We had a stable of four running backs last year. Now it's just Raheem, and his numbers per game are going down by the week. And listen, the defense loses Miles Slusher. Slusher was a big part of this defense because he could line up at corner. He could line up at safety. He could play the slot. He got involved with a little bit of an incident uh, with a crowd, got suspended for this game, uh, put his hands on a cop. Uh, not, Not a good thing, so he'll be out for this game. Uh, and that brings up Quincy McAdoo uh, as, you know, he's going to have to start lining up everywhere. So it's very new for him, but listen, Arkansas is 115th in rushing success rate on defense. And like I said, that LSU offensive line right now, they are absolutely dominating. They're the number one unit in the nation in offensive stuff rate. That is tremendous. I couldn't believe when I saw it in the sheet, Arkansas is now bottom 10 defense and passing down success rate and third downs. And that translation is a Jaden Daniels zone read will never be stopped. It will never be stopped. There could be some sleepiness. This is the old SEC Jefferson pilot time slot, 11 a.m. local kick. I did take a first half under, but LSU minus three is still on the board as you and I are recording this. I make it four and a half, so I'd buy it at four, two, just for a lot less. But I can't make a case on either side of the ball for Arkansas. They are not playing well. The coaching staff does not look happy with each other. They don't look happy with the decisions on the field. They're not happy with the execution, and it's getting worse. And now we got players putting their hands on cops at 2 o'clock in the morning just off Dixon Street. They're Things are not going well at Arkansas whatsoever. For the first time in a long time this year, which makes me happy, which makes me happy for this game, you haven't had a great feel on your hogs. You, you know, sometimes <laughs> you get in a rhythm with a team. You haven't gotten yeah. in rhythm with them all year. So for my bankroll, I hope that you're off again. I, I think the, I think Arkansas wins this game out, right? Woo, pig, suey. Woo, 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 pig, suey. All right, Kansas State at Baylor. Big game in the Big 12. Baylor, two and a half point home favorite. Intriguing matchup here. I think it comes down to like Duke and Azoma for Kansas State generated enough pressure on Shapin to throw him off. If he has a clean pocket, he's so much better. What, what do you see here? Over, over. I, I want the over here, but I'm waiting on word from Malik Knowles and Cade Warner. Uh, both have not practiced this week, but they were expected back soon. And if you want to play the over, you're going to have to have those guys back for Kansas State. But they love to run the ball a lot. Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn are going up against a Baylor defense that's 84th in defensive stuff rate. So Martinez and Vaughn are not going to be stopped behind the line of scrimmage or at the point of attack. 
Kansas State is sixth in rush explosiveness. It's a serious issue for this Baylor defense. And Baylor's kind of been a sneaky over team the entire season. Yeah. On the flip side, Baylor runs 60% of the time with Richard Reese. And Kansas State's 111th in defensive line yards and 100th in stuff, right? So they can't stop the run either. Rushing attempts from the Bears are going to be just as successful than it is for the Wildcats here. And ultimately, both these teams have heavy offensive finishing drive advantages. That means more touchdowns and field goals. So I project a total of 58 over 53 and a half, whatever, up to 55. That's a good number. Just kind of waiting on Knowles and Cade Warner, even though they say they are going to play. And even though that's not what Kansas State wants to do on offense, uh, I've just kind of been hanging out on that. But I am going to take the over here. I believe I already did. By the way, get, <laughs> get ready for some uh, Arkansas gifts for my hogs on uh, on Twitter at noon on Saturday. You're, are you going to be – you're going to be watching – you're in Lambeau right now, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually going to be in Chicago, and then after we do our live show, I'll be driving up, and I'll be watching the game from Lambeau. I'll be in Curly's uh, have... bar. Yeah, yeah, we'll go to Stadium View. Stadium View is, uh, if you've ever been to Green Bay, I'll be there for Packers-Cowboys this weekend in case you guys want to track me down. Uh, I'll be in there uh, in Stadium View a number of hours before the game, number of hours after the game. But uh, one of the few places I've been where it's not a hostile environment, even when the Bears and Packers play and I've been there, it's like – they all get along. It's just good, wholesome Midwest uh, Wisconsin fun. Yeah, well, I bet the I bet the Packers. So maybe, I mean, hopefully you join me and I'll root me in. All right, let's move on to next game here: Georgia at Mississippi State. Mississippi State sixteen point home dog. Earlier in the year, I said Georgia's going down here. I'm sticking to it. Georgia is going down here now. Georgia's better than I thought they were going to be, but uh, I'm sticking. Why? Why do I not stick with my call? Wow, you said Mississippi State was going to beat Georgia, and you were wrong. Don't care. Like, yeah, I said they were going to go down here. They're going to go down here. Number one, it's such a bad spot. Like, they just had to prove it. Like, look at look at me defending national champions. Back to boredom, right? We talked about this last week. Why was Georgia so pedestrian-looking at times? Well, they won the national championship last year. They know, like, their peak. Why were they messing around with Kent State? Why was why were they almost lose at Missouri? Bored. They were bored. Also, I think that this is a – Decent matchup for Mississippi State in a couple different ways. First of all, it'll be the biggest test for Stetson Bennett in this offense from a passing perspective all year. You look at Georgia's two biggest tests this year against Tennessee and Oregon, horrifying secondaries, right? Mississippi State has a pro corner and pretty good pass defense. They're also really good in the red zone on both sides of the ball. Mississippi State's number one, number one red zone offense as far as converting trips into touchdowns in college football. Georgia's number one defense, so it'll be interesting uh, who can score in the red zone, could decide this cover or this game. Mississippi State's defense has also been good in the red zone. But I think Stetson, I think Will Rogers can have success throwing here with the quick strike passing offense against a Georgia defense that likes to run man, likes to get pressure. Mississippi State's offensive line has been great, and they just get rid of the ball so quick. There's a reason. It's just not – this isn't a great matchup for Georgia – schematically there's a reason that in his second career start will rogers went to athens two years ago and was 41 of 52 for 340 yards one touchdown no picks they were 26 point dogs they lost by seven it was a tie game in the fourth quarter he will not be afraid this will be a raucous environment uh i like that mississippi state also plays a methodical pace unlike tennessee limit the number of possessions for a bigger dog and for what it's worth since 2005 Leach is 16 and seven against the spread as an underdog of more than 14 points. He is the most profitable coach 
when catching over two touchdowns over the past 25 years. That's over 400 coaches. And if you exclude Alabama, who just destroys him every game, he's 16-4 and four against the spread, 80% when catching over two touchdowns. This is the spot, the matchup, Mississippi State for me. Yeah, I mean, everything you say actually leads me into a bet that I wanted to make the entire time, which is the under. And to beat the air raid, you have to be good in standard downs. And the Georgia defense is fifth in standard down success rate. And what we saw with them against Tennessee is that their safeties and corners moved up. They played man press coverage, and they jammed that stack wide receivers on the outside. Mississippi State, it's going to be the same thing. They're, I mean, the, the secondary is going to come up. They're going to jam targets for Will Rogers at the line of scrimmage. That's going to be a problem for Mississippi State to get some completions in their dink and dunk air raid offense. And then, you know, Mississippi State, they have issues on defense. They're not generating a pass rush. They're allowing too many explosives. Their inefficiencies against the run. But then again, I like the under because Georgia may not be running that much because in, <laughs> Kenny McIntosh might not be able to play. Uh, he sat out practices this week with a, with a thigh bruise. Uh, not sure if he's going to play here, which I think kind of leads into an under here also. And, you know, if Georgia's bored uh, and their defense is jamming, uh, you know, targets of, of Will Rogers on, on the other side of the ball and there's limited possessions in this game, this is an underplay for me all the way. Yeah, I mean, the way you beat Mississippi State's run defense has been poor this year. So we'll see if Georgia comes out with a rush attack. I mean, their, their secondary has been very good. Um, and Mississippi State's kind of like a bend-don't-break defense. They've been really good in the red zone. So we'll see if Georgia's red zone problems on offense sneak up here. But, yeah, I, I don't mind the under in this spot for sure. But, yeah, I mean, if they come out and play man, it'll be, if, they don't, if they don't execute every single press correctly – Leach has so many man beaters, uh, man beater routes in his arsenal, which is why you've seen teams just get destroyed when they try to play man. Georgia, obviously, very talented and can do that against a lot of teams. But, you know, that's why Rodgers against the man in 2020 was 32 of 41 for 340. Just ball control, limit the possession. So, yeah, I don't mind the under. I think Mississippi State keeps this close. In all honesty, Georgia will pull it out. But I think Mississippi State can give them a scare. All right, uh, let's move on to your rapid fire. Let's go through three games. Rapid fire, you get one minute each. Missouri at Tennessee. Tennessee, 20-point favorite. Missouri's defense been nails, especially against the run. Little vulnerable against the pass. Does Tennessee come out flat after that loss? Do they come out angry? Do they come out and want to run it up? Does Missouri's defense compete? How does this play out? Angry. They come out angry. And the Tigers are terrible against the explosive play. Specifically, they're 125th against rush explosiveness. So that points to Jalen Wright and Jabari Small having big days. They have 21 explosive runs uh, on the season. And Hendon Hooker, he's going to have, you know, <laughs> he's had 15 explosive plays this season thanks to scrambling uh, on the ground. So I think there's going to be a lot of that here. Missouri has been good, but if you look at their strength of schedule and, and who they've gone up against the opposing offenses – it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't scream that they've beaten the world here. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, Tennessee has all the motivation in the world uh, to to win points in the Harris poll. Like we talked about in the BCS, the new BCS that, you know, they've got to have style points here. And I think they're going to try to get it. But the way to attack Missouri is on the ground. So I think if you can play like, you know, any kind of props, I would look at Jalen Wright and Jabari Small uh, rushing props on the over. But I do like Tennessee to score a ton of points here. Southern Miss at Coastal. Coastal is sitting pretty in the conference, but then Grayson McCall is, is done probably for the year. Unbelievable. I mean, if you look at some of the, his numbers, 
under pressure, you look at all quarterbacks under pressure, what he is doing from an adjusted completion percent at just his numbers are ridiculous. He is so good. He makes this offense go. The defense has issues. This line has gone from like eight, nine down to five. I think you could argue that like McCall, Chris Reynolds with Charlotte, compared to their backups and what they mean to the offense, especially McCall has been more consistent than Reynolds. He's worth like 10 points. Do you agree? Bryce Carpenter is not a bad quarterback. I mean, he's been a yeah, he's played before at least. Yeah. yeah, and he's played a lot. He's got a lot of experience. The problem is, is you just take for granted what Grayson McCall is when he runs zone read, when he runs the triple option in space, when he's in third downs. What Grayson McCall does, he makes it look flawless. He looks like an NFL quarterback. He's just he is that good at his job. And Bryce Carpenter is a is a run of the mill, above average quarterback in the Sun Belt. Uh, and he struggled. And you got to remember that Carpenter last year t- did okay when he came in, but he he was playing with a good cast. Like you yeah. have got like Isaiah Likely, Highly. Then they lost so much, and Coastal is still has one loss. Why? I think that's like where the the gap is. It's all because McCall is just so good. So I think that with this depressed cast and a, 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 just a way worse defense this year, you could see the effects here, but do you think that they, they overcome it and rally in one game? I, I No, I think Southern Miss has a great chance to upset here. Uh, their defense yeah, is, you know, yeah, their defense can absolutely give Bryce Carpenter a ton of problems here. And they are one of the best teams when it comes to defensive finishing drive. So I think Southern Miss can, can uh, win this game outright. The problem is the number just keeps getting so depressed. There's not much value in it anymore. Might as well just take a money line and play it live. Round Robin piece for me. Um, mm-hmm. Southern Miss. Iowa State at Oklahoma State. Iowa oh State fighting for a bowl. Oklahoma State in free fall mode. We've already established their frauds. Uh, are you buying low on the mayor? Are you are you continuing to sell off? Well, I mean, the starter could be any of the three quarterbacks, right? I mean, we don't know who it is, and you can't trust much of the news out there. So we'll see. If, I don't know why Spencer Sanders would play, but it, it right now it could be any of the three. Iowa State is now a heavy pass team at fifty seven percent, and the Cyclones are top five in limiting explosive plays. And, you know, that's the primary way that Oklahoma State generates points. So, you know, this, again, points to an under here. Iowa State's defense is going to have success against Oklahoma State. And if Oklahoma State cannot create explosive plays, it won't move the chains with their success rate numbers at all. So I like Iowa State here to win this game. Uh, I think we've seen a little bit of the market, you know, move a little bit in the Cyclones direction. But, you know, if Spencer Sanders isn't playing, even if he is, Iowa State is so great at eliminating explosive plays, which is what the Cowboys live on on offense. So, uh, big plus here for Iowa State. Yeah, I think it's Iowa State or nothing, especially if Sanders is out. Oklahoma State's so beat up. They might be emotionally drained, physically drained after this stretch, uh, deflated. And if it's either one of the backup quarterbacks, you don't want a backup quarterback going up against this Iowa State defense. It just screams mistakes. Uh, I think Iowa State gets the win on the road and the Oklahoma state win total under is alive. Never thought I'd say that. All right. Good stuff there. By the way, just a quick reminder, make sure you check out the group of five guys, Mike and Mike episode is already out, comes out the day before us. They do a great job, a lot less rambling than us, more digestible episode. They've been killing it all year. So make sure you check them out on the same feed. Let's move on to some trash. What's that smell? It stinks. What do you mean? This trash. The sweet, sweet trash. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. Gold mine. Last week there was only two pieces of trash. People were upset. So there's I got more this week. 
So let's go through it. I'll give my quick spiel on five. Got five trash. You say yes or no. All right. First one, USF plus 17 and a half against SMU. This is this they could lose by 60, but this is the new coach factor. I've been betting it all year. It's worked out well. Teams that fired their coach this year are now 13 and 11 against the spread after making the change. They were five and 21 before that usually signifies the bottom of the market. And the first game, we've seen a bunch of upsets, locker room morale boost. You have some new looks. It's also a horrible spot for SMU score 77 against Houston. You got two lane on deck. You're going to lowly USF and USF should be able to run the ball here. They have a really good rushing offense. SMU cannot stop the run so they can run the ball, score a lot of points, keep SMU's offense off the field. USF has no pasty. They don't expect to stop there. But USF's peak has been good this year. Like they almost won at Florida. They almost won at Cincy. It's like they have the talent, but down to a backup quarterback, I don't think it's that big of a drop off. I think it's too many points. I'm t- I'm taking USF. It's scary, but whatever. That's what I'm here. It's for. way too many. It's way too many points. The number should be twelve, and then you already locked into the key metric here, which is. South Florida's top 10 in rush explosiveness and SMU's bottom 10 in defending rush explosiveness. And that's where South Florida is going to make their points to get this cover. All right. One for one on the green. Uh, let's go Vandy plus 18 at Kentucky. Horrible spot for Kentucky. Uh, Georgia on deck. This is a team that's a Kentucky team that's just limited on offense still. They can't run it. They try to run it too much, which means they can't build margin against teams. This is, you know, Stoops is 0-3 against the spread when laying more than 17. All three, by the way, came against Vandy. Conference dog over seven points with a low total, 48 or under, 60% over the last 40 years. Makes sense. Limited possessions. I think Kentucky just wants to get out here healthy for Georgia next week. Mike Wright will start a quarterback, not as good as Swan. He's horrible under pressure. Okay, and can run a little bit when he's not. Kentucky's not getting any pressure. Too many points here. I'm taking the 18 in just a terrible spot for Kentucky. Sleepy spot, too. It's at noon in Lexington. No one's going to yeah. care. Give me Vandy. And Kentucky runs offense at 32 seconds per play. They're super slow. You're trying to cover a number. That, and, and I power rated at 17. So, I mean, I get what the number is, but at the same time, the Wildcats are super slow on offense. And, you know, Vanderbilt's not going to score any point. Maybe there's another under game here because Vanderbilt, no matter who they've got back there at quarterback, they're near dead last in protecting their quarterback from a pass blocking perspective. And even though Kentucky's not all world of pass rush, it they're still mid FBS. They can give them some problems here. Um, so, uh, I would be uncomfortable backing Vanderbilt just because they, you know, they like to give the ball up and they like to do stupid things at the end of games. But at the same time, I think the under has value here because of the slow pace of the Kentucky offense. Don't mind the under. All right. uh, UConn plus 14 and a half against Liberty. Don't care. This, maybe this will be a public dog. I, the market, maybe the market's finally catching up. I don't think it has. The market refuses. I think that just, it's the residual effect of how bad UConn was that they just have so much value every week. I mean, they're covering by over a touchdown per game. This year, they're 8-2 and two against the spread, the highest cover margin in the country. This is a horrible spot for Liberty. Second road game after upsetting Arkansas, they have Vatek on deck. This is a motivated UConn team at home playing in front of a crowd that will actually be lively for once. They're playing for bowl eligibility if they win this game. Liberty has already demonstrated it will play down the competition. They beat Gardner-Webb by one at home. They beat Akron by nine at home. They are 4-0 against the spread as underdogs. 1-4 as a favorite. 0-3 against the spread as a double-digit favorite. No Day-Day Hunter. He averages 6.6 yards per carry. His backup's at 4.1. Hugh Freeze also said that they're just banged up in general. They're going to be shorthanded here, after the, which makes sense. Liberty playing an SEC team. 
UConn also had an extra day of prep after playing UMass. Give me Jim Moore's bunch to cover again. Yeah, I actually like UConn on their team total over here because there are advantages here against this defense. And and I saw it with Arkansas and Liberty is that <clears throat> Arkansas was extremely explosive in standard downs. Like when when KJ Jefferson decided in the second half that he was healthy enough to pass, they actually made they finally had some sort of offense in the second half. And that really stands out in the numbers of Liberty right now. Their defense and standard downs explosiveness, they're near dead last. They're in the bottom 10. And that's something that UConn can expose. UConn, 27th in rush explosiveness, 41st in pass explosiveness. Liberty's outside the top 100 in defending explosive plays. So UConn's going to get their points, and it's all going to be via the explosive play. Don't have to worry about the Liberty defense and the fact that they're really good in the red zone because there might not be that many red zone plays that actually uh, you know, get them these scores. So I, I like UConn's team total over. Uh, I think the number's right, although I love the Huskies here too. Definitely a more motivated team in this week. And Day-Day Hunter's a huge loss for this Liberty offense. Most elusive player yeah. in PFF grading. Yep. Quick one here, New Mexico. If you can get over three touchdowns, I this team just fucks themselves uh, every week. They just, last week against Utah State, they like <laughs> returned a kick out of the end zone and yield at the one. They gave up a fake field goal touchdown. They muffed a punt. They gave up a fumble return for a touchdown. They just find ways to give up points every game. But this total is 37, and you're catching over three touchdowns. Rocky Long knows the option, although they get blown out by Air Force a lot. He used to coach a defensive coordinator for Oregon State when they ran the option back in the early 90s. When you lay over two touchdowns with the Service Academy, 40% last 30 years. Lay over 21, 38%. New Mexico has a new quarterback, Justin Holiday. They basically are running a triple option from shotgun. He tries to throw it. He like threw it 18 times for 30 yards against Fresno. I think he threw it 50 for 50 yards last week. He, it was There was a bunch of wins. I, I don't know how they move the ball. This is like a service academy game. Um, I might just bet the under. New Mexico will probably fuck this up somehow. But catching three touchdowns with a service against a service academy with a total of 37, it's tempting. This is undecided trash for me. Oh, this is a New Mexico team total under. I mean, this offense is dreadful. Uh, They are 130th in havoc allowed. They cannot protect the ball. Only one other team is worse than them as far as tackles for loss, as far as fumbles. New Mexico is dead last in passing success rate. So if they fail on first and second down, they got to throw on third down. That's not going to go well either. I mean, this is a disgusting analytical stat sheet that I'm looking at from an offensive perspective. I have no love for this New Mexico offense who screwed me about like what a half point last week uh, against Utah State. So kind of a hate bet, kind of a revenge bet. I'm taking New Mexico team total under here. Yeah, they should have beat Utah State like outright last week. I want to go under and I want to go New Mexico. I'm just afraid that like New Mexico is going to give away like 30 points and bullshit. Like I wish they would just knee, knee, knee punt like that. They would give them the best chance to win. Although they probably get the punt blocked. All right, last one. Drum roll. Well, we got two more chances, baby. Club lit. Dependent on if Chase Cunningham is out. If Chase Cunningham is out for Middle Tennessee, which runs like an, a new air raid, the only thing they can do is pass. They cannot run the ball. Their offensive line is horrible. And they, they're back. They just can't run the ball at all. It's basically Chase Cunningham throwing it. Their quarterback, Nick Fatayato, who's like on the scout team last year, he ended up being bowl MVP when Toledo just decided not to show up. He was awful last week, and they played one of the worst defenses in the country in La Tactical. Probably the only one worse is Charlotte and maybe Akron. But uh, Charlotte has will have the much better offense if Vitaito has to start. And I don't know if Middle Tennessee will really take advantage of Charlotte's defense. They'll put up points. Everyone will against Charlotte. But Charlotte should put up points here as well. Charlotte's Jekyll and Hyde. You just hope you get the good Charlotte. But if Chase Cunningham's out, 
too much value on Charlotte. We're back. We'll be back on Club Lit, baby. Keep an eye on the app. We're not done with you yet. I don't know, man. The Middle Tennessee's defensive numbers are, I mean, they're top 10 in tackling. That's going to limit a lot of explosive plays. They're 17th in defensive havoc. That's that's problems for Reynolds or anybody else on the Charlotte offense. I, I know Middle Tennessee might be out with their quarterback, and that's what I'm waiting on. But uh, the defensive numbers tell me that Charlotte's going to have some struggles here. Club lit. Maybe I'll be dancing alone in there. Probably everyone is. There'll be one or two. One or two people I'll buy shots for that visit the club. But the club is uh, on its last leg. It did, but like we did, there's like a back bar that's still that survived the fire. It'll be open this weekend. So let's see who joins me. One minute, San Diego State, San Jose State. San Jose State's two and a half point favorite on the road. Total, you got 30 seconds, go. Yeah, San Diego State is 21st in rushing, uh, rushing expected points. They're very explosive on the ground, especially with their new quarterback. San Jose State, that is the biggest problem with their defense right now is they are near dead last in defending rush explosiveness. So I expect San Diego State to move in chunks on the ground, down the field. I like the over in this game. Aztec overs. I'm not going to depend on the San Diego State State defense to hold this down, especially when they struggle in in line yards and passing success rates. So give me the over here, uh, San Jose State, San Diego State. I have a couple San Jose State futures. I got to get, they got to get some wins here. Like this is a big game for them. Well, so, they're going to go over because they, they play someone shitty yeah. next week. Yeah, I just hope books honor it because they missed. They didn't play a game. I don't know oh. if they're going to – they better. Um, I don't know if they're going to m- make that up in the off week. We'll see. All right. All right. One one final game that I wanted to talk about, Auburn, Texas A&M. I'm going to fade Texas A&M until the cows come home. We're doing it again this week. I think they may have quit. I don't know what their motivation is here. Maybe they'll get up to ruin LSU season if LSU loses this weekend. You know, maybe they want to get up to go to a bowl, but this is a team that wanted to go to the college football playoff. They're now sitting at three and six. Uh, you know, they've lost five five games in a row. I don't know where their head's at mentally. Their run defense is awful. That's what Auburn could do here. And whereas Texas A&M looks like a corpse to me, Auburn, full of life last week under Cadillac Williams going nuts on the sideline. His players were feeding off of it. And by the way, they were on short preparation that week. Fire the staff Monday, get all new positions on Tuesday. They're looking at the playbook during the game and trying to figure out what the plays are because they weren't familiar with it. They're going to have a full week of preparation. Now you're going to see some new looks, be a big crowd here. I think they're going to show up. Give me War Eagle. Let's move on. Before we get out of here, we have one final order of business. Let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down favorite bet. I will kick things off. Give me Navy. This is the 95th meeting. Historic rivalry. Dates back to 1927 been played every year except for the COVID year in Baltimore horrible spot for Notre Dame here after beating two ranked opponents selling high on them they've been awful as a favorite it's a young and experienced team they're gonna have ebbs and flows the Navy matches up well though but by the way catching over two touchdowns with the service academy historically has been a great bet but these are two slow teams two of the top 15 teams in rush rate clock's gonna be bleeding kind of like the under as well but what can Notre Dame do? They lean on their run game. They don't have great outside receivers. What does Navy do? Great run defense. They're top 15 nationally. Line yard stuff rate, opportunity rate, yards per rush, EPA per rush, rush success rate. One of the worst secondaries in the country. Notre Dame can't really take advantage of that. So Navy can battle here. They can battle with their run defense. And the other side of the ball, Navy obviously doesn't pass at all, ever. And now they're down their you know, to a backup quarterback who doesn't pass at all, better runner. 
They're just going to run the ball a million times here. Notre Dame's run defense is worse than their pass defense. Um, too many points for a service academy team uh, in a bad spot for Notre Dame. Notre Dame, 0-4 against the spread as a double-digit favorite this year. They lost outright to Marshall and outright to Stanford. I wouldn't be shocked if Navy's in this game. Yeah, service academy's 40-22-2, when catching more than two touchdowns since 2005, covering by over five points per game. Makes sense. Hard to cover these big numbers against service academy. I think this is the spot to back Navy. Where are you going? Favorite bet? I'm going to go to Tennessee on the team total over 37 and a half. They have to make a statement here. They got to keep in the good graces of the college football playoff committee. A lot of that is narrative, but when you look at it, Missouri strength of schedule 40th in the nation, they just have built this defensive record on teams that are sub part of what Tennessee is. And there is a couple of specific areas where Missouri is vulnerable. And that is in standard downs. They give up a ton of explosive plays, 127th in the nation. Meaning when teams open up the pass and first and second down, they're able to take advantage of the Missouri defense who may be creeping into the box and trying to stop the rush. But there are heavy rush advantages here for Tennessee also. The the reason why Georgia was able to stop Tennessee from doing anything is because they had corners and safeties that were able to get up on the line and jam the wide receivers, Jalen Hyatt specifically, and get them off of their routes. When you can disrupt the routes, of Tennessee, then you can stop that offense. But Missouri does not have corners and safeties at Georgia's level. It's going to be able to do that. Style points here, whatever you want to call it, there is a schematic advantage. There's a there, there's a technical advantage here. And, and I think Tennessee is going to be out to score as many points as they possibly can. I can't think for one reason why they would lay off a, a possession at the end of the game and not want to score more points. So I'm going to take Tennessee team total over 37 and a half. Yep. And yeah, Missouri also can't. Yeah, there's no reason Tennessee will lay off. Missouri can't generate the same pressure in the pocket as Georgia can. Hooker was under fire all game, missed those couple deep shots, only had a couple, missed them because he was just so battered and bruised and footwork was off. He hasn't missed them all year. Don't think he'll miss them this week. All right, uh, let's move on to second down, our favorite overdog. You're still in your drought. We're going to go back to you going second. I've been carrying the weight here like you carried the weight for our underdogs early in the season. Uh, I'll keep it simple. Texas, hook them. Talked about it earlier. This is the game TCU gets exposed. All the bounces finally go Texas' way. But they should move the ball whether they want to do it on the ground. B. John Robinson through the air. Texas's run defense is elite. Even if their quarterback gets hurt, like happens every week at TCU, they have a great backup. Quentin Johnson banged up. Gary Patterson knows Max Duggan very well. This is Texas all the way. Hook them. Where are you going? Yeah, I'm going to pivot off to Michigan State as my favorite overdog. The Rutgers, is, they've been bad. They've been horrific on the road. They've covered just one game in the last five when they've been away from Piscatawani. Rutgers doesn't have many advantages in this game. Dead last in rush explosiveness. They're 130th in passing down success rate and 88th in defensive finishing drives. There's just holes all over this resume. And all of these are reasons that a rejuvenated Michigan State is going to cover this game is they can still make a bowl game. And when you know Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed are healthy, that is a dynamic connection that's just kind of been missing. Michigan State has not lost a cover since October 8th against Ohio State. They put up 389 yards against Wisconsin. Again, that was Thorne and Jaden Reed. Uh, it's just been instant points for them when they are healthy. Eight players have been suspended off this Michigan State. I think that's why the number came off the board. A few of them are defensive names in there, but none of those names are going to give Rutgers any points because Rutgers Rutgers severely struggles with scoring points here. So I'm going to take Michigan State, swallow the points. I think the narrative about these eight players being kicked out is just over is overdrawn completely. Don't disagree, but where, where did you say Rutgers is from? Did I say Piscatawani? Piscatawani? Piscataway. Piscataway. Sorry. 
Sorry. Pisc- I thought Piscatawani was like a. I, I'm about to uh, land in Wisconsin. Sounds like a Wisconsin town name. Yeah, I think I got Wisconsin on the brain here. <laughs> All right. We got one final winner business, and that's our underdog Moneyline Parlay, our favorite Moneyline underdogs. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Woo, big suey. Arkansas is getting it done. Spot of the year. It's time to sell LSU. Sammy Covers is back. I can't wait to battle. Let's go, Hogs. Where are you going? Oh, boy. Yes, I'm going to be involved in this. All right, I'm going to take Syracuse uh, on the money line here. I love Syracuse in this spot. I project the game lower than what the market has it right now, and the market is where it's at because of Garrett Schrader, an injury that was described as the team is sensitive to what his injury is. I'm not sure if that means he took a shot in the groin. I'm not sure if he got his balls busted. I'm not sure, but when the team is sensitive to what his injury is, uh, you know, it's really hard to read if he's going to be in there or not. But assuming that he plays, the number is way too high. The Orange do not allow explosive plays whatsoever. They're top 20 versus ground and pass attacks, and that's a big advantage against Florida State. Florida State may dominate the line of scrimmage, but Syracuse doesn't allow explosives. So it's not, not like the, you know, the Seminoles have a, a big ways to go. And then Syracuse is sixth in defensive finishing drives. Whether Schrader plays or not, this defense is, uh, has been fantastic for the Orange all season. Uh, you know, backup quarterback Car- uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson is the he's got 70 dropbacks on the season. So hopefully the drop to him isn't that much. But whether Schrader plays or not, Sean Tucker is leading a rush attack that just moves the chains every weekend when he's healthy and he's healthy right now. Tucker was uh, shut down against Pitt last week, but there's a big difference in Pitt's rush def- defensive numbers against Florida State's uh, numbers on defense is stopping the rush. Florida State's defensive line yards and stuff rates are outside the top 90. So Syracuse is going to have a ton of success on the ground, no matter who the quarterback is. And I like them to win out right here uh, up in the, I think we can't call it the carrier dome anymore. So uh, up in the dome. So uh, give me the orange at home outright. It does feel like maybe it's the time to rebuy Syracuse after they did get a bit inflated so hopefully they can bring it home for us all right that'll do it for us thanks to Colin as always for joining me enjoy your trip to Lambeau thanks to all of you for listening thanks to our audio and video teams on the back end don't get enough credit uh make sure you subscribe unsubscribe subscribe leave a review also don't forget about the voicemail cash giveaway every week 959 bad beat we'll have a recap episode on Monday morning at 10 30 a.m eastern big bets on campus live We'll tweet out the link. Myself, Colin, and Brett McMurphy. Thanks again to our sponsor, BetMGM. That'll do it for us. Go try to find some last-minute winners in Club Lit. Catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.